This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 27. Authenticity is so important because it's being true to who we are. When our true authentic selves are aligned in an environment that espouses the same goals and the same type of mission and purpose that we have, that's where the magic happens. Because again, that's where those synergies will allow us to perhaps heights that we never even thought were possible. What is your why? And how can you bring meaning and purpose to the work you do each day? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast. The only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. My guest this week is Damon Porter, Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Grange Insurance. Grange, which is a household name in the Midwest, has been serving communities and customers for over 125 years. Currently, Grange has over $1.3 billion in annual revenue, over 3,600 agents who support their clients across 13 states. Prior to his current role, Damon held HR leadership roles at Erie Insurance Group and Duke Energy. Damon is a strong advocate of supporting the plight of others, and he served on leadership roles on numerous nonprofit boards, and he currently serves on the Board of Trustees for the Mid-Ohio Food Collective, which is one of the largest food bank organizations in the country. Damon is a smart, authentic, and passionate leader whose energy will inspire you to be a better leader and think more about your purpose. I know you're going to enjoy the conversations we discussed, why the best HR leaders have the ability to influence without authority, why it's important that HR leaders connect to their personal why and purpose, why he believes flex is the key to find success in your career, his practical advice on how to find a sponsor or a mentor, and how to assess if you'll be a good fit for an organization's culture during the interview process and much more. Damon, welcome to the Future of HR. Well, thanks for having me, JP. I'm excited about the conversation. We're excited to have a conversation with you today as well. So I want to jump into it. And looking at your career and path to CHRO, what really impressed me was the fact that you'd had roles in executive compensation, benefits, people analytics, talent management, as an HR generalist. As you look back, which of those roles had the most impact on your career and path to becoming a CHRO? Well, you know, I've been very fortunate, JP, to have had a number of wonderful experiences along the way that have really exposed me to the full spectrum of human resources. But when you think about which one, right, if you had to select one, you know, it's almost like, how do you select your favorite child, right? (laughs) Each one of them has their own merit. They're very special in their own way, right? But I will say that along my journey, the time I spent as an HR business partner and more of a generalist, not only exposed me to the various aspects of HR and my learning, because you have to be, you know, you have to know enough to be dangerous in each area, but it also helped me with understanding how the work truly gets done within large or even smaller organizations. So I'd say the HR business partner work was really helpful for my own development. But that said, each of my steps along 
those centers of excellence within the HR realm, each of those provided some transferable skills that I still utilize today. Absolutely. The roundness of your career, if you will, because you round yourself out with exec comp, benefits, HR, generalist, mm-hmm. talent, allows you to probably see and have a different viewpoint when you finally got to be a CHRO. You know what good looks like or what at least probably good or bad looks like in some of those <laughs> roles. But going back to the generalist role, do you feel the one reason why I was so impactful in my experience has been you're really interacting with the executives. You're trying to get business leaders to influence them, to make good decisions, obviously understand the business and support them. And it's just a different level of influence than influence Mm -hmm. in HR. Do you feel that same way? I do. And one of the things you learn really early on, and I consider this to be one of the most important skill sets when I'm evaluating talent, but it's the Ability to influence when you don't have authority, right? And I think the HR business partner role is one of those roles in which, depending on the organizational structure, you can be engaging with folks who may be at a much higher level than you, but there's an expectation that you're still going to be able to influence their thought process and their decision making. And the very best HR business partners are those that can do that and can find a way to navigate through team spaces. And so I would say for sure, Having that ability, and that's something that's learned, right? can take time to hold that craft, but having that ability to influence without authority is a very powerful tool to have in your toolkit if you're an HR professional. Absolutely. It takes time to build that, but also Mm -hmm. the finesse to know when you should push and when you should pull back Mm -hmm. and understand your business leader and meeting them where, you know, she or he is at is Mm -hmm. super critical in that. Yes. Well, what's pretty clear in your career, Damon, is that it looks like you were really intentional. How intentional were you in planning your career and shifting to these different roles? Or was this dumb luck? You know? <laughs> oh, I love that question, JP. You know, initially, I was not very intentional at all about my HR career. And in fact, I did not grow up as a, an HR professional, right? It wasn't necessarily on my career path. When I... Um, what did you want? What did you want to do? I'm curious. What was your career path? So my HR? my background was in marketing and marketing research, and that's what I thought I wanted to do, right? And so I did that for some time, and then went back to get my MBA. And I learned the real value sometimes in education is not only do you learn what you want to do, but you learn what you don't want to do, right? And so I knew that that probably wasn't the path that I wanted. So after my MBA, I was very fortunate to take a job with a large power company. And the reason why that role was so attractive to me is that they had a leadership development program that was focused on recent MBA graduates. And the intention was to bring them into the organization and they'd go through a two to three year period of rotating around the organization learning, growing along the way, and then they would be placed in an area after completing that program. And so I did that. I'd had wonderful experiences in finance, operations, and then my final rotational opportunity was in human resources. And I'll be honest, JP, I wasn't overly excited about that opportunity when it was presented to me. So I I did the uh, rotation and I was actually placed in the executive compensation area. And uh, after the rotation, I was so fortunate in that the head of human resources at that time asked if I would be interested in taking on a a full-time opportunity. And, you know, I kind of weighed that, you know, again, because 
HR still wasn't quite on my career path. At least I didn't think it was. But I thought about the opportunity to have some exposure to our senior leadership team, uh, to really be a part of something that it would push me, you know, allow me to learn and grow. And by then, I was also learning that HR was much more than what I had initially thought that it was. So after I took that opportunity and became a member of the HR function, that's when I really became intentional about, wow, how can I check all the boxes, if you will, around this, you know, across the entire spectrum of human resources. And that's where I was very fortunate to have leaders that trusted me and challenged me and pushed me to do things that weren't necessarily on the path for me, or at least that I thought were on the path, but they pushed me. And that's, that is what led to having a pretty diverse set of skill sets across the HR spectrum. That's a terrific story. And I really think we do need more MBAs in HR who come from a business perspective, mm -hmm. you know, who have a broader view because the impact can be so much greater from that. Mm -hmm. right? I agree. And it's not that if you don't have an MBA, you're not going to be a great HR person. Right. No, absolutely not. You could still learn the business, but there are things you're going to learn in business school that will, you can carry with you mm -hmm. that will help you. Mm -hmm. you know? yes. And so I love that you reluctantly came into HR <laughs> that you saw the light, which, was, which we all have seen and have chosen this path. What role has personal sacrifice played in your career goals and really getting to a CHRO here and now? Yeah, I quickly realized that as I was growing a career in human resources and wanting to gain experiences and exposures in different areas, it, it may require me to be a bit flexible, right? And not only in the roles that I was playing, but the places where I would need to perform those roles, right? So I will say that I have a a wonderfully gracious wife who is super supportive of my ambition from a career perspective. And she and I have three children and we've had a number of steps along our as we've taken on new roles, experienced new things. And one of the things that we've learned, JP, is that, and you hear this quite often, and I certainly agree with it, children are really resilient, right? I think sometimes it's the adults that struggle <laughs> being as resilient. You know, as we moved from various locations, we learned that our children not only were resilient, but they were learning and growing along the way. And that really helped to cement this really strong connection that we have as a family, because we were often going to new places where we literally knew no one other than our own little five-person family unit. And so you lean on each other. You have to depend on each other. And again, that has really helped us to submit a really close knit. But you learn, you experience, you grow. And I think you're a better human being when you've had an opportunity at times to be stretched in different ways. Well, it sounds like you have an amazing supportive wife and family that, and I, and I guess what I love about the way you're thinking about this, Damon, is you know, we make personal sacrifices at work. We might put long mm -hmm. hours in, but really we have a family behind us. A lot yes. of significant others that are supporting us. Mm -hmm. And it does require everyone to be on the same page to say, hey, can we do this? But I've experienced, we've moved a little bit in my career as well. And uh, my wife is amazingly supportive. And I think it has made the kids, you know, our two, my son and daughter, I think better friends. Mm -hmm. Like, you mm -hmm. know, hey, yes. we're here and that's your brother, that's your sister. <laughs> and that's all you got. So let's stay with them. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the other thing I admire about you is I think you've got a real sense of purpose around your leadership. And I'm going to quote Mark Twain because I think it's a great quote. He said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born 
and the day you find out why. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your leadership purpose and what is your why? My personal philosophy has always revolved around the power of the we, right? So how can we help others be the best versions of themselves as we hopefully achieve some sort of collective success? So long before I was ever in positions of leadership, I tended to gravitate toward the principles of partnership and collaboration and teamwork, right? Because I truly believe that we're stronger together. Now, what's great about leadership is it often creates a platform for us that can even make that impact and that influence so much stronger. And uh, on my career journey, as I stepped into roles like that, I, I learned that that is what gave me energy, right? Being able to hopefully help others bring out the best versions of themselves. That's what really fuels me. That's what really gets me excited about the work that I have an opportunity to do. But with leadership, there's an awesome responsibility. And I don't take that lightly. And I think the best leaders are those that are very serious about how they show up, how they interact, and how they bring others in. Because that's absolutely critical if you want to get to this collective success that I think many of us aspire for. Impacting the larger group is, you know, sounds like that is your purpose. I also Mm -hmm. love the fact you're bringing up that, you know, at all times as an HR leader, whether HR business partner or you're the CHRO, everything we say and do is being watched Mm -hmm. by the business, by our peers. Are we, you know, walking the talk? How are we leading? Is that aligning? with what we say our core values are. And that's an right. important point that you bring up. I think we forget sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. because yes. we think, especially as a CHRO, you might think, well, I'm just Damon. But mm-hmm. you are a CHRO and people are looking at you as a leader in the firm, in the company, and mm-hmm. saying, hey, how's Damon interacting? But it goes all the way down your leadership line and HR in general. I think we always have to be the role model for culture, which makes our job a little bit harder than other people's jobs sometimes. We get to be an advocate for the organization, right? We are that champion, whether we willingly take on that role or not. We are, in fact, in that role. You know, we really have to take advantage of the the position that that we're in. Damon, the vast majority of employees are motivated by performing meaningful work, being valued, being recognized for their contributions. How can they accomplish this? How can employees find meaning, fulfillment, and gratification in the workplace today? You know, JP, when I talk about, when I talk to folks about how they find meaning and purpose in their work, I like to talk about and encourage them to flex. And my colleagues and family members and friends, many of them have heard this, but I like to leverage acronym FLEX, F-L-E-X, because I truly believe if you can flex in the workforce, then that meaning and purpose will follow. The F is for finding resources. And what I mean by that in particular is finding those coaches, those mentors, those advocates, those champions, folks that will invest in you along your career path and maybe even along your life's journey, right? These are the folks that you can go to to get hopefully candid feedback, uh, maybe a different perspective, but they're absolutely critical to how you think and how you work. And I often find that the best ones are not within your your vertical, right? Maybe not within your own organization. They can live and exist in different places, but they're the resources that we can tap into for support. The L 
in Flex is around learning. And the focus there is really around continuous learning. You know, how can we continue to view learning as not a destination that I one day want to get to, but more so it's a lifelong journey of learning. It's continuous. How do we learn? How do we grow? How do we expand our mind? How do we take on new opportunities that, you know, maybe aren't on our career path or we don't think they're on our career path, right? It's saying yes to those things that maybe others might not say yes to. Because at the end of the day, you're learning, you're experiencing something different, and you're building your set of skills along the way. And that could be absolutely critical, no matter where we ultimately move our journey forward. The E in flex is around excel in your current role. I often talk to employees who are very ambitious and they say, how do I get to the next level or how do I take on additional responsibility? And what I always share with them is first, you must demonstrate that you can be excellent in your current role. It's how do you show up as the true subject matter expert in what you're doing? Because when others see you in that space, that builds your credibility. It builds your brand, right? And it also demonstrates that perhaps you can take on more, but you really have to excel in the role that you're, you're currently playing. And then the final letter in flex, and I'll take a little liberty with this one, JP, but it's in the X, it's for exit. And what I mean by that is as an associate, as a leader, if you find that the culture or the values or the mission of the organization in which you're employed are not necessarily aligned with your own personal values, I'd encourage you to exit that organization. We spend so much of our lives focused on the work and being able to create value and adding something to what we're able to deliver for an organization. But if there's misalignment in that equation, I find that psychologically, it does not allow us to bring our best selves into that environment. And so you really have to think, are your own personal values aligned with what you're experiencing in the workplace? I love it. So flex, find champions, advocates, coaches, mentors, learn and excel and exit if there's not a culture fit. You got it. All right. Well, let's dive into that a little mm -hmm. bit more. Sure. Finding champions, advocates, coaches, mentors. How do you find those people in general? What's the recipe for this? Because I think it's a question mm -hmm. we get a lot. How do I find a sponsor? How yep. do I find a mentor, a coach? No, I think there are two avenues, right? The one is the more formal way of doing that. And many organizations, including my own, you know, we have formal coaching programs in place and formal mentoring programs in place. And those are, can be great avenues. But I also would encourage others to consider some of the informal avenues for gaining mentors and champions and advocates and coaches. These resources can come in all shapes, sizes, and colors, right? In all levels of experience and expertise. I think we have to be observant. One of my mentors that I've had, probably for the longest mentor that I've had, is an individual who was a former leader of mine well before I entered the human resources space. It was someone that I continued a relationship with, knows me extremely well, right? And so when we're engaging in conversation, there's a 
high level of transparency and candor that, you know, frankly, I probably need, right? But, you know, that person is bringing me objective feedback and insight based on what they know about me and what they know about what I'm hoping to accomplish. And so again, whether it's formal or informal, I would encourage us to keep our eyes and ears open for those individuals who can be so instrumental to us, whether along our career path or even along our life's journey. You know what I find? Tell me if you find the same thing, Damon. For someone to invest and become a champion, an advocate, a coach, a mentor, a sponsor, Mm -hmm. they've got to feel there's an investment from that coachy mentee, mm-hmm. right? There's got to be a reason for me to invest my time. Yes. It sounds easy to go find a coach and mentor, but the reality is, well, how do you really make the connections where someone's willing to say, hey, I'm going to spend some time with you. Mm-hmm. I want to help you understand how to do this job better, or here's the advice and feedback you need to get ahead. Mm-hmm. Any tips on that, or what have you seen work? Sure. I think in each of those relationships, it's a two-way streak. To your point, I believe the onus is on the mentee or coachy, the individual who typically initiates the re- relationship. The onus is on that person to truly demonstrate commitment to the relationship. I think that's first, right? It's showing up. It's being prepared for the conversations. It's helping to determine the appropriate cadence of the conversations. Again, some of those are very formal. I've got mentoring relationships now where I will mentor folks And we'll connect each month or we'll connect each quarter. You know, so that's, you know, there's a cadence, there's a formality to it. But even for the more informal relationships where you pick up the phone and call someone, I think we have to demonstrate a real commitment to that person. Because if we want that person to do the same, they have to see that we're invested in that relationship and that we truly value the guidance and the support that they are providing for us. So I think commitment is key. Secondly, I'd say, again, the preparation. It's making sure that we're bringing topics into the conversation that are not only relevant to us, but will allow the coach or the mentor or the champion or the advocate to to lean in a way that's valuable. So it's the preparation around that. And then thirdly, I'd say it's having real clarity and what that relationship should be. So if it's, you know, thank you, JP, for agreeing to be my coach. We'll have a six-month coaching engagement, and I will plan to connect with you once every month. Or depending on the cadence, depending on the frequency of the interaction, I think it's on the mentee or the coachee to be very clear about what they hope to gain out of that relationship and establishing the guardrails for for how the relationship will play out as well. That's that's really great advice. What about learning and excelling? Do you have practical advice for people on how they can demonstrate that they are learning Mm -hmm. and growing in their role? Yeah, so much of when we think about growth, I think we often think about elevation, ascending to the next level. It's the promotional opportunity. But so much of growth can be demonstrated upward or sideways or even downward, right? It's as long as we're learning and growing. I think it it comes down to the mindset. You'll often hear folks talk about having a growth mindset. And one of the key aspects of having a growth mindset is knowing that there will be points along the way where there may be a challenge, there may be a setback, there may be something that occurs within our careers that was not planned or was unintended and it's it's not anything that's good. But it's knowing that 
I can bounce back from that? And how do I get up, dust myself off, and continue to move forward? So much of that is contingent upon having this growth mindset that suggests I'm going to continue to push forward. I'm going to drive myself. I'm going to learn everything I can about the role that I'm in and also gain some experiences outside of that. And I won't hesitate to ask questions of others or raise my hand or lean in to other resources. That to me is how you learn and grow. Yes, of course, we can learn by demonstrating, you know, further education, certifications, more degrees, those types of formalized education, of course. But I think it's even beyond that, it's having a mindset in which we're continuing to push ourselves to, to reach out, learn what I can in various forums so that I am strong enough for what's next, no matter what that may be. Absolutely. I think, you know, pushing yourself, being resilient is critical, having that growth mindset. What about exiting? What is your advice on how do you, how do you know if it's a great culture fit or if it's going to work for you? That's a great question. And, you know, we could have a, an entire podcast on that question alone, JP. <laughs> I would say a few indicators. One way I think of the question is as we're evaluating a potential new organization, right, that we may want to join, how do you know it's a good fit? How do you know that that's a place where you want to bring your talent and treasure? And I think we want to be as knowledgeable as we can. And in order to gain knowledge, sometimes it's, is there public information about the organization? That can be helpful. Do you know folks that work within the organization? Are there folks that you can reach out to who are either current employees or past employees who can share some perspective with us, right, around perhaps the inner workings and the culture of the organization? And I also kind of leverage the hiring or the selection process that we go through as individuals, because that's pretty telling. So if an organization is interested in us as a potential new employee, what type of experience are they creating for us on the hiring side? Because this truly is the window to the type of organization that they are. And I think depending on how you're treated, the responsiveness, sort of the, the collaborative spirit that we have along the way, I think all of those are great indicators into the type of organization that it is. Now, on the other side of that, as an HR professional, I think that's a call to action for many of us, especially on the recruiting side, to say, are we building talent acquisition strategies that are truly demonstrating the best of our organization so that when folks are evaluating us, when they're going through the selection or the hiring process, are they getting the best of what our organization represents? Because again, that could be a critical element of whether or not we're able to attract that talent. Such an important point because that talent acquisition or recruiting process mm -hmm. is a window into the organization. And you can see how organized it is. Mm -hmm. You can see are people giving you the same answers? Mm -hmm. or they have different answers, different questions. What are your recommendations on how you might audit your own recruiting process? Or how do you audit your recruiting process? I think it's a quantitative as well as qualitative process, right? Many of us, when we look at our metrics associated with our recruiting processes, we look at things such as time to fill and maybe the acceptance rates based on the offers that we extend, the acceptance rates of those that are actually coming into the organization. Those will give you some indicators as well, right? But qualitatively, are we putting people in places that 
truly represent the culture that we want to portray. And what I mean by that is when you look at, you know, recruiters, whether it's those that are on the, the recruiting trails, such as, you know, career fairs and going to other organizations and representing our organization, are we truly representing what we want Grange Insurance to, to be reflected in the hearts and minds of potential employees of the future? So it's aligning the right people with the right work and then building a process that will enable you to assess and evaluate on the back end. Are you truly getting the talent that you want? For us, one of our key measures is early career talent and diversity talent, right? So how are we performing in those areas in particular where we've got some opportunity? So depending on your organization, I think there's probably a focus on specific aspects of talent acquisition that you may want to spend a little extra time focusing on because that's going to truly represent the type of people that you're bringing into your workforce. Yeah, and they're really customers, right, of the organization. If you go through interview process and you mm-hmm. don't get the job, if, you know, the old saying of a customer, if negative experience, they'll tell seven of their friends about the negative experience. You got right? it. So if your organization's ghosting somebody, do you think they're going to say they got ghosted? They probably are. Maybe it's not seven people, but they might say two or three. So you mm-hmm. should be thinking about that. And I love that you also yeah. talked about quantitative metrics, of course. You might be doing a new hire survey. Hey, mm-hmm. how was your recruiting process? What was that like? It's also okay to call up a new hire, even as the chief people officer, mm-hmm. and just say, hey, want to check in, welcome. How was your experience? Yeah. What was it like to be a candidate? Or call someone who didn't get a job and find out. You might be surprised in what you hear mm-hmm. because these are things you have to continue to measure and stay on top of because it's such an important part of, of the culture to make sure you are really aligning and having that experience of what you want to represent the company to be. That's right. One thing I also love about you, Damon, you are super authentic. You're always your authentic self, but it's not always easy to be authentic at work. What does being authentic at work mean to you? <laughs> when I think about how the world has changed over the last couple of years, in particular as a result of the pandemic, and we've often talked about the lines are more blurred than ever between our personal lives and our professional lives for many of us. And I truly think your authentic self is that sweet spot right there in the middle, right? It's how we show up. And that's both professionally and personally. What I would also say on that point, authenticity is so important because it's being true to who we are. But I think when our true authentic selves are aligned in an environment that espouses the same goals and the same type of mission and purpose that we have, that's where the magic happens, right? So I think it's understanding our authentic selves, but also trying as much as we can to align that with an organization that is of, I would say, similar mind, similar goals, similar purpose. Because again, that's where those synergies will allow us to perhaps heights that we never even thought were possible. That's a really good definition and explanation of being authentic. For me, it's really a place where you feel like I belong. And it's an emotional, unquantifiable feeling that I just, I feel like I belong in this culture. I appreciate the way I make decisions. I feel appreciated. I feel like I can be myself, not my 
really authentic self because frankly, there's only a few people in the world that really like our authentic selves, which is maybe our spouses, significant others, and maybe <laughs> our mothers and fathers. But it's our authentic self at work, which mm-hmm. is the best of us at work. Yep. And I think when you feel like you belong and it's an inclusive environment, then it just fits, mm-hmm. right? That's, That's the right. magic. Last question for you, Damon. What is the one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? When I think about the future of HR, the word that really resonates with me is dynamic, right? And so two definitions. One, when we think of dynamic from the perspective of a process or a system, it typically refers to things that are continuously changing, right? And then when we think of dynamic from the perspective of an individual, it's someone who brings a lot of energy and ideas, right? When I think of the future of HR, I think both of those definitions apply, right? The future of HR, I'm so excited about it because it truly is dynamic. It's going to evolve. We're in the midst of this evolution of a transformation, right? And the most successful HR professionals are going to be those that um, are able to step into spaces that may feel a bit uncomfortable at times, right? But will allow us to continue to ascend in this dynamic journey. So when I think of the future of HR, that's what I think of. I think of this, this transformation, this change, this uncertainty that is rife with opportunity. And that word to me is dynamic. Damon, dynamic is the future of HR. You are dynamic, and I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much, Damon. It was a really fun conversation. Well, thank you so much, JP, for having me. It's been great to connect. And I look forward to continuing to listen to the podcast. This is great. I love what you're doing here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Damon for his insights on finding your purpose and being your authentic self. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you're enjoying Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and please help us spread the word to other next-gen HR leaders like yourselves. We'll be back next week with Vicki Walia, who leads the HR teams for the U.S. insurance and retirement businesses at Prudential Financial. Vicki also teaches a graduate-level course on people analytics at New York University. And in our conversation, Vicki and I will discuss what she learned from a three-year stint in a line role, her perspectives on the future of work, and why leaders and people analytics need to think about themselves as storytellers. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.